seeing the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can... um, Come asking um, for another cup of kindness yet. God, that you are the God who gives grace upon grace. That uh, you are the God who not only saved us by grace, but that you sustain us by your grace. And God, I pray that you would sustain me this morning. I pray, God, that um, that I would not get in the way of um, of what it is that you uh, want to accomplish through your holy word this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would um, enliven our hearts to receive your word. Uh, you'd sharpen our ears to hear it. And God, that we would um, just be reminded in profound ways of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that set us free from the power and the guilt of sin that brought us into a right relationship with you, our sovereign and loving creator. And I pray, God, that we would not lose sight of the implications of all of that, that we are to live our lives in submission to your good and holy word. You tell us many times in your word that when we do that, that's that's when we are blessed. That's when we are happiest, is when we are living by the power of the Spirit in submission to your word. So God, have your way with us here this morning. God, I pray for your mercy um, on my uh, coughing and my voice. Or I pray, God, you have mercy on the people that are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, Some kind soul after last Sunday's, or the first sermon left me these three things. I'm not sure they'll do any good. Um, Good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm excited to uh, teach through this passage, these three verses. Um, If you would pray for me, actually, um, if I would have known uh, what I was going to feel like and the way that I was going to sound like the first service, we would have done something different. And so I'm just praying that God will do something different in this service so that it's not a coughing fest. So, for you, to all who are here who are weary in need of rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, the church... Windsor Community Church opens her doors wide open and welcomes you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the ally of all enemies, who is the the defender of the guilty, who is the justifier of the inexcusable and the friend of sinners. We welcome you here this morning. Today, as ones who are 
undeserving recipients of all that the gospel has delivered and promises to to deliver. Today we're going to look at the implications of the gospel for all who have believed in it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ informs us of the grace of God that rescued us, the grace of God that sustains us, and reminds us that it now calls us to live in a different way and to care in a different way and to see people and trials and oppressions in a different way. And I'm just going to dive in. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On this side of the oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them. We've seen a theme running through the first three chapters. We're going to see it running through the entire book. That all of life is vanity. All of life is like a mist. It's like a vapor that it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's a paradox that we can't make sense of. A plus B doesn't always equal C. We've seen that this world that we live in is broken. And in chapter 1, the preacher, most likely Solomon, we saw him acknowledge that the more that he saw and the more that he tried to understand with his human wisdom, his great human wisdom of all the madness and folly in this world, the more grief and, ex- grief and sorrow that he experienced. And then in chapter 2, he uttered two seemingly contradictory statements. As he looked at all the, all the folly, all the madness, all the vanity in the world, all the brokenness, he said, I hated life. And what he said is that he, he didn't actually hate his life. What he said is he couldn't make sense with all the vanity in the world. In a paragraph later, he said, there's nothing better for a person than that that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his life. A paradox. I hated life, and there's nothing better for a person to do than he should eat, drink, and enjoy life. In chapter 3, we saw that there is a time for everything, and that the timing of everything under heaven is perfectly ordered by a good, sovereign, and loving God. Last week, Pastor John walked us through the end of chapter 3 where the preacher pointed to another paradox. Where the preacher said, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And what he was pointing to was an unjust political and court system where the guilty are set free and where they convict the innocent. Then we saw last week that the preacher was reminded of his own preaching with the words, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time for every matter and every work. That somehow brought him some, uh, some console. That even though there's a time for injustice in the world today, that one day there will be a time for justice where God will return to judge the living and the dead the wicked, and the righteous. 
Pastor John also pointed us to the truth that even though life under the sun is unfair and fairness isn't a consistent experience for any of us, he reminded us that we can rest in God's promises. We can rest in his love. We can rest in his comfort and his faithfulness. What a great reminder that is. And um, I am purposely, just so you know, trying to key it down and tone it down. And it's hard for me to do that. So my prayer is that God would uh, tune it up and tone it up in your heart this morning. Today's passage puts the spotlight on a specific type of affliction. The affliction of being oppressed. And the challenge this morning in teaching through this small section of scripture is that the preacher doesn't present any viable solutions to help those who are oppressed. So we're going to need to look at other places in Scripture. There's three primary questions that I want you to consider today as we look at the Scriptures. Number one, what is your responsibility in comforting the oppressed? What is your responsibility? Number two, how do you bring comfort to the oppressed? And as Christians, how should we respond to the oppressor? This passage is not necessarily speaking to the oppressed. And everything in my shepherding heart wants to speak and console the oppressed because I know there are people in here that are oppressed. But the passage isn't speaking to that. It's speaking to, it's, it's talking about our response to the oppressed. How do we bring comfort to the oppressed? How are we to respond? Is the plight of the oppressed any of our business? Particularly people we don't even know personally or who might live far away. Let me start by defining oppression in this context. Oppression means to exercise power over with an intent to marginalize or subjugate by force or bring under, uh, under power. It's prolonged cruel or unjust treatment or control. It's overpowering. It's overburdening. It's depressing. It involves extortion. It's obtaining something by force, threats, or unfair means. It's unlike other general categories of pain, trial, and affliction in that it's a pain, it's a pain at the hand of someone with power or influence. It's an injustice at its core. Who are the oppressed? They're the crushed, the extorted, and the exploited. Everyone who is oppressed needs to be comforted. The oppressors is the person, it's the people. It's the system that's doing the crushing, the extorting, the exploiting. With all oppressors, what they all have in common is power. Unrestrained power. Solomon said it in verse 1. On the side of the oppressors was power. I'm not sure exactly what the preacher is getting at here. Or exactly what oppression he has seen or maybe is even responsible for. 
But if it's Solomon, he had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. And I would imagine that was some level of oppression to those women. So he may have even been responsible. But let's take a look at some Old Testament scriptures that might help us understand oppression in those days of antiquity and who the oppressed were. Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him. (coughs) (coughs) Isaiah 10.1-2 Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil that they make the, may make the fatherless their prey the needy, the poor, widows and fatherless were all oppressed then many of them are oppressed today Amos 2, 6-8 through 8, for these three transgressions of Israel And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. The needy are oppressed, the poor, the afflicted, the sexually abused. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner, speaking of the refugee or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And finally, Malachi 3.5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You see, I think oftentimes in the world today as Christians, we care more about uh, personal immorality than we care about injustice. And it's all sin. It's all abomination against a holy God. It all grieves Him. And if you think by chance that the Lord has gone silent in the New Testament about oppression, keep on reading. The Bible speaks to it in the New Testament often. We see Jesus' compassion in particular for the oppressed. Jesus came to save us from our sins, and he also gave us to, came to give us an example of how to live our lives under the sun as Christians. Jesus could have been born, live a perf- lived a perfect life, and a few years later he could have died for our sins and rose again from the dead. It would, it would have all been good. But he did more than that. When on earth in his 33 years, in dwelling amongst men, he cried, he clothed, he fed, and he healed as an example for us as we live amidst, amidst the brokenness under the sun. 
What type of oppression do we see in our culture today? There's nothing new under the sun. Abortion, abusive relationships, racism, sex trafficking, age discrimination, anti-Semitism, refugees. That's just in our context in northern Colorado. Around the world we see sex trafficking, we see communism, we see Christians being martyred for their faith. We, pe- we see people starving in countries where the rich could care less. And can I just give a quick shout out to Jolene Brady? Because in the first service I was drinking cold water, and I kid you not, I was coughing every four seconds. And she handed me this stuff, and she says, she didn't tell me what it was. She said it was from the west side of the highway. No, I'm just kidding. She, uh, it's, it's lemon zinger, and it's, it's doing the trick so far. I might need another one because I'm about out, and I've still got three quarters of the sermon to go. So thank you, Jolene, for that medicinal celestial seasoning. What the oppressed need is justice. Not the justice of giving due punishment to someone who did something bad. We need that kind of justice as well. And that type of justice is called retribution. The oppressed need restorative justice. Most of the time the Bible speaks of justice, it's referring to restorative justice actually. And we see it repeated in the Bible over and over and over again. This is the type of justice that works to help restore people who have been unrightfully wronged or unrightfully hurt by those in power. Those who have been oppressed. This is famously and succinctly stated in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Speaking to all children of God. That would be, this is for us today as Christians. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, restorative justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's go back to our passage, verses 2 through 3. The preacher's response here in verses 2 through 3 to those who are oppressed with no one to comfort them is confusing to me. And it's also convicting to me. Can you give Jillian a clap, please? For her sake and yours. Or for my sake and yours. Thank you. Can I trade you out? Thank you. Same stuff? Okay, I like it. It's confusing and convicting to me, actually. And it's, um, I'm going to tell you why it's convicting and why it's confusing is that, that, that he seems to write these words um, with some sorrow and grief. Um, he acknowledges that there's no one to comfort them. But his words fall short and leave us with an unacceptable conclusion. There's oftentimes when I see people 
When I hear about people, when I hear about the Pregnancy Resource Center, and I hear about a woman that chooses to abort her baby than to um, choose life, um, it grieves me and brings me great sorrow. When I hear about um, the many teenagers in the Weld County foster system um, who nobody wants to adopt because of all their baggage, it causes me to grieve and sorrow. When I get the Voice of the Martyr magazine and I read about all the persecution of Christians around the world, it causes me grief and sorrow. But it doesn't move me to action. And what's convicting to me, as some of you know, is that I have had this uh, CASA thing on my heart for a couple years now. Court-appointed special advocate. It's a secular thing. It's in every county. It's in Weld County. And it's where you get to meet with a, um, with a teenage man, teenage boy, and you get to be their advocate with the court system. You get to spend as much time as you want with them. And you get to bear their burden. You get to uh, bring them comfort. And I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I've got an application sitting on my desk. This isn't for you. This cost, This is for me. And we're going to talk about this in a while. This is for me. It's convicted me. And my prayer is, is that, that if the Lord wants to convict you in some certain areas this morning, I pray that you would allow him to do it. He wants to stop their pain. He says in verse 2, And I thought the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, speaking of those who have no one to comfort them. But he says, Better than both is he who has not yet been. And has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. You see, the preacher sees all the oppressions and he beholds the tears of the oppressed. And by saying that there was no one to comfort them, he implies that comforting them would have been a good thing. Then why is there no one to comfort them? Why did the preacher not comfort them? Is it not his job? Is it not his concern? Is it out of sight, out of mind? Might it be a distraction to his calling? Is it beneath him? There's other people to take care of that? What is your responsibility to comfort the oppressed? How do we bring comfort to the oppressed? And how as Christians should we respond to the oppressors? I believe a partial answer is found in the great commandment. In understanding who our neighbor is and how we should love him. If you would turn to Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 37, it'll be on the screen as well. And what we see here is a conversation with Jesus and a lawyer. And it goes like this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? The lawyer is trying to protect his conscience. He wants to be able to justify himself in the sense that he wants to be able to choose his neighbor. He wants to choose who to love and when to love. The lawyer had the right answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. But he had the wrong application. And if he had an awareness and an understanding of what was truly written in the Old Testament scriptures, he would be able to see where Jesus was going. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Does that sound like oppression to you? Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. That's about two days of wages. Saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus says to the lawyer who tries to justify himself, you see a man lying on the side of the road and you ask, who's my neighbor? After this parable, Jesus turned to the lawyer And he flipped the question around. (coughs) And he asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. These words are for us today. You go and do likewise. Go and do what? Show mercy to your neighbor. We're going to talk about in a minute who our neighbor is. And we may disagree on the remedy or the action plan to solve the problem of a particular oppression, but we must not see the oppression in this world around us as a distraction and something that shouldn't concern us. Can we fix everything? No. The man on the side of the road ultimately dies. The widow ultimately dies. The orphan ultimately dies. Does that mean it's worth it? Absolutely. Because these are all people who were created in the image of God. The unborn, the orphan, the abused, the refugee. 
And we're instructed over and over and over and over in the Bible to go and do likewise. Micah encapsulates, encapsulates the heart in this heart in one sentence. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So in order to do good and to show mercy to our neighbor, we need to ask, who's our neighbor? Who's your neighbor? And I want to just submit a couple of thoughts along these lines. And they fall into three categories, relational proximity, geographic proximity, and heart proximity. Your neighbor is certainly those whom the Lord has put you in physical proximity with. Your family, your friends, our church family, neighbors, etc. It's also, also those you don't know personally, but you may see on the street. It could be somebody that's being robbed that you happen to witness or somebody being beat up. And what you're called to do is you are called to not just walk by, but to confront the oppressor and say, stop, thus saith the Lord. And to the oppressed, to bring them comfort. But I think it goes beyond our, our, uh, our geographic and relational proximity. I think the Lord has given each of us a unique heart for an oppressed group of people in need of comfort that you may not necessarily be in relational or geographic proximity to. Think of the unborn, orphans, refugees, immigrants, persecuted Christians around the world. This casa falls into this category for me. It may not be for you. But how do we get outside our, um, our, our safe, secure, gated communities here in Windsor and actually look up and see the world around us and not only grieve in sorrow, but ask God, how would you like me to respond? And it's going to be different for each of us. We have a glorious responsibility and privilege to bring comfort to the oppressed. What does this comfort look like? How do we bring comfort? It starts with understanding that everyone is created equal and in the image of the, tri- of the triune God. Everyone. Next it goes to asking God to give you a heart for restorative justice. And it depends upon you and I soaking in the gospel and being reminded of God's comfort to you and I and the joy and privilege he's given us to comfort others. Is that the same tea I'm drinking? Coffee or tea? Tea? Coffee. Coffee. I just, I love you, man. I do. I just want to give you a hug. Oh, thank you. I might still be contagious. Sorry about that. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. Okay. This passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 gives us great instruction. And I want you to listen to the indicative of the gospel, what God has done for us, and the imperatives of the gospel. Now, how do we respond? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all our affliction. That is the indicative of the gospel that God saw us um, in our oppression, being oppressed by our own sin and by the enemy, the deceiver. And he came down and he rescued us from the power and the guilt of sin and the power of Satan. So that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's seeing oppression. It's seeing the oppression of others and simply entering in. It's sitting with the oppressed. It's wiping their tears. It's crying with them, listening to them, praying with them, praying for them, feeding them, clothing them, housing them, teaching them English, teaching them how to drive. And yes, please point them to the only one who can one day wipe away every tear and bring them peace and joy and comfort today in the midst of the oppression if he so chooses not to deliver them from it. As much as you are able, bring them comfort and rescue from the temporal while sharing with them the truth about the divine rescuer who can save them from the only oppressors that can bring them ultimate harm, sin and Satan. My daughter is a busy mom with four kids under the age of eight for another few days. She's not going to have another kid. One of her kids is turning eight. And she, she says this. My, my wife told me about this yesterday. I'm so proud of my daughter, Natalie. She says whenever she, she's faced with someone who is in a trial or who's being oppressed, she doesn't, she doesn't say, uh, she doesn't focus on what she can't do. She asks the question, what can I do? What can I do? Don't don't worry about all the things you can't do. There's so much we can't do. But what can I do? What can I do? It starts with praying. It starts with grieving. It starts with sorrow. And it may end there for a lot of people that are being oppressed uh, as far as it has to do with us. But God might have something more for you. He might have you be involved in the resource center in Greeley. There's a ministry in this church that is that is a, a, that people are praying for these ladies that are making life and death decisions for the baby in their womb. They need volunteers. It, it might be um, working with refugees in Weld County. There's an amazing group of people in this church that have started a ministry that meet once a month talking about and praying about and praying for how to serve this population in Greeley. We have a ministry called, called Serving Seniors. There's age discrimination in this world. Seniors are lonely. They're oppressed. And might I say that the lady that was leading this ministry has recently decided to step down. And we have a policy that we don't start any ministries in, in the pastor's office because we believe that the Spirit of God is working in every heart here and that ministries are started in your heart. So if anybody has a heart for seniors and wants to carry that ministry forward, please talk to me or to one of the other pastors. 
foster and adoption. We have a thriving foster adopt ministry here. Maybe the Lord's calling you to work with that type of oppression. The answer to oppression and all other sorts of injustice is not the social gospel. I want you to hear me on that. The social gospel says we should reclaim the structures that save society. But what we know as Christians is that it's the true gospel that saves people from their sin one person at a time. And as we bring the gospel forth, we not only declare it, but we, dis- but we dis- demonstrate it to the society, caring for both their temporal needs and their eternal needs. So first we need to understand the gospel and understand what the gospel is calling us to. And the gospel is most clearly stated in the great commandment, the, the implications of the gospel. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to what? To love our neighbor as ourself. How do we know who our neighbor is? We look at, we look at, um, we look at proximity. Personal, geographic, and heart proximity. Being reminded that we serve and live under a greater power. That we who have been bought by the blood of Christ now are subject to a greater power. A power who does not oppress us, but a power who came to free us. And this power is named Jesus Christ who entered into the oppressed and broken humanity to bring hope and peace and comfort. He is a power who may not end oppression today, but will one day day end it and will judge the wicked and the righteous. The fact remains that a day is coming when in Jesus' name all oppression will cease. And we are his plan A right now to bring comfort to the oppressed. We may not be able to stop it, but we can bring comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the small things. Thank you for allowing me to um, get through this sermon. Thank you for the important words of the preacher that should cause us to be broken over lost, sinful, and oppressed humanity. And I thank you, God, that you're the Savior and we're not. But I thank you, God, that you've given us the remedy to be able to hand out the remedy that will that will break the oppression that many people in this world are experiencing as a result of their own sin 
and Satan. And I pray, God, that you would deliver many from the power of sin and the power of Satan. That you would deliver them into a kingdom that is governed by the power of righteousness and love and kindness. And all along the way, God, I pray that you would help us uh, care for the temporal as much as we care for the eternal. That we would not see people as projects. We would not see people as somebody else's problem. But we would see people as those who are made in the image of the triune God who need to be comforted. And God, as you have comforted us, would you give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to bring that comfort to others for your glory and for their good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and close our service together. Faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through that fearful path. For my love is all.